Welcome to BBC News. We're bringing this live to you from southern Israel, just close to the Gaza Strip. We're about three kilometers, a mile or so away from Gaza, where the Israeli military offensive is intensifying. Uh, there has been a very intense night again of uh, Israeli shelling and Israeli airstrikes in Gaza and focusing on Gaza City, where Israel's defense minister now says that the Israeli troops are operating in the heart of Gaza City, which the minister claims is the heart of terrorism. The area is one of the most densely populated parts of the territory and has frequently been hit by the Israeli military in the last month. It says it is targeting Hamas, which Israel, along with many other countries, considers to be a terrorist organization. In this bulletin, we will bring you the developments from right across this region, from here in Israel, from inside Gaza, and from Lebanon as well. But we'll start this uh, hour with the latest developments from our Middle East correspondent, Yolande Nell. Flares hanging in Gaza's night sky are ominous warnings of incoming Israeli fire. But increasingly, the Israeli prime minister is being pressed for a pause in fighting. I did ask him for a pause in the past, yesterday. Still waiting here. This is a key moment. Israeli troops are now said to be in the heart of Gaza City, closing in on this stronghold of Hamas, ministers say. The destruction in Gaza is already immense, with entire neighborhoods flattened, and the civilian death toll is rapidly mounting. The World Health Organization says an average of 160 children are killed here every day. Nothing justifies the horror being endured by the civilians in Gaza. People in Gaza are dying in their thousands, and those alive are suffering from trauma, disease, lack of food and water. The level of death and suffering is hard to fathom. Dozens were reportedly killed by Israeli airstrikes yesterday in the southern Gazan towns of Khan Yunis, Rafah and Deir al-Balah. In Khan Yunis, Dr. Ayad Shakura at Nasser Hospital was on duty in the emergency room when he was told that his two children, aged five and seven, his mother, his brothers, their wives and their children were killed in a strike. What did these children do wrong? What crime did they commit to deserve tons of bombs on their heads, tons of explosives on their heads? Israel says that it does what it can to avoid civilian deaths in Gaza and that it's acting to eliminate Hamas. It says it's destroying dozens of tunnel shafts used by its fighters. The Israeli Prime Minister continues to reject international calls for a ceasefire, but now says he'll consider tactical little pauses in hostilities. He added that Israel would have overall security responsibility indefinitely after the war's over. Yesterday marked exactly one month since the deadliest day in Israel's history. Vigils took place for those killed in Hamas's surprise cross-border attacks and some 240 women, men and children still being held hostage. I'm waiting and demanding they do whatever it takes to bring everyone home safely. This is the time to do things that have not been done before to ensure their safe return. There's huge pain and anguish on both sides in this war. And there are many more difficult days ahead. Yolanda Nell, BBC News, Jerusalem.
Well, it's been a very busy morning, of course, uh, in this uh, military offensive that is now more than one month old. Let's take a look at some of the uh, most recent developments. Uh, President Biden said he had asked the Israeli Prime Minister uh, to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu for a pause in the fighting, potentially for three days, in order for progress on the hostages. Mr. Netanyahu has said there will be no ceasefire, but he did raise the possibility of what he called tactical little pauses in hostilities. Israel's Minister for Strategic Affairs has said his country has no plans to govern Gaza, but will ensure it remains demilitarized after the conflict. The number of deaths in Gaza since the outbreak of hostilities has risen to over 10,000, according to the health ministry there that is controlled by Hamas, with more than 2,700 missing. And the World Health Organization says that among the casualties, 160 children on average are being killed each day in the war in Gaza. Well, while the military offensive grinds on and the humanitarian suffering, of course, intensifies, foreign ministers from the G7, the uh, group of most industrialized nations in the world, have been meeting in Japan. They have uh, just issued a joint communique, and the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, uh, has also been speaking in the last few minutes. Let's listen to what he's had to say. Uh, our first focus here in Tokyo was the crisis in the Middle East. Uh, yesterday evening, I had an opportunity to brief my colleagues on my travel through the region as well as extensive engagements by President Biden and our entire national security team. Uh, the G7 ministers reaffirmed our staunch support for Israel's right and obligation to defend itself and seek to ensure the attacks of October 7th can never happen again in accordance with international humanitarian law. We had in-depth discussions about the steps that we are taking to address urgent needs on the ground. Uh, we all agreed that humanitarian pauses would advance key objectives to protect Palestinian civilians, to increase the sustained flow of humanitarian assistance, to allow our citizens and foreign nationals to exit, and to facilitate the release of hostages. I briefed my colleagues about my conversations with Israeli leaders on pauses and on concrete steps to minimize harm to Palestinian civilians in Gaza and to stop extremist violence in the West Bank. The U.S. Secretary of State speaking there. Well, Britain's Foreign Secretary James Cleverly is also at that meeting in Tokyo. He was asked about his reaction to the current death toll in Gaza and whether he believed that Israel's military response was proportionate. Well, Israel was uh, on the receiving end of a brutal terrorist attack. And they have every right, indeed a responsibility to the people of Israel, to ensure that they are able to uh, protect themselves. And uh, we speak about this military operation. Uh, we get clear assurances from Israel that they are acting in accordance with humanitarian law in order to protect themselves from attack. What we, of course, want to see is ultimately a peaceful two-state uh, solution. And we, of course, always make clear that any actions that Israel takes should be in pursuit of that ultimate aim, and they should avoid doing anything which undermines that. That will remain the UK government's position. James cleverly there, referring to the two-state solution that uh, many will believe is even more distant and perhaps even dead uh, after this military offensive. It's long been uh, seen to be an unachievable goal. Let's uh, see whether this current conflict reinvigorates the idea of a long-term political settlement of a two-state solution, uh, Israel and a Palestinian state. Well, 
uh, as well as the G7 ministers who are there in Tokyo. Our own Shaima Khalil, our BBC correspondent in Tokyo, is there and she's covering the G7 foreign ministers meeting and she can join us live now from Tokyo. Shaima, uh, just tell us about the joint communique that's been issued uh, and what has come out uh, in the last few minutes from the G7 foreign ministers meeting. Well, I think the G7 foreign ministers wanted to present a united front, not only on the Middle East conflict, which overshadowed events, which was at the heart and the center of the discussions today, but also on the ongoing war in Ukraine and the security concerns in the Indo-Pacific, specifically China, economic coercion, um, the tension between China and Taiwan, and of course, um, Russia's uh, relationship with Pyongyang and Pyongyang's nuclear arsenal ambitions. Remember, this is a very different landscape that the foreign ministers are dealing with than the G7 leaders were dealing with when they met in Hiroshima in May. Right now, their ultimate message is, yes, the conflict in the Middle East is overshadowing events, but we continue, um, a message for Russia, really, uh, that they say they continue um, to be committed to sanctions on Russia and for Ukraine's right to defend itself. On the Middle East, again, I think because there were background differences in the ceasefire um, or proposals for a ceasefire by some G7 countries. Anthony Blinken was quite clear that they are now united um, on a no ceasefire, essentially um, still supporting Israel for no ceasefire, but calling for humanitarian pauses. I was actually speaking to um, the British Foreign Secretary, um, James Cleverly, uh, earlier, and he said that essentially they're pushing for um, these humanitarian pauses to to ensure the safety of hostages, to ensure the safety um, of multinationals um, in Gaza, and to get aid uh, to those who need it the most. What we don't have, uh, Mark, from the G7 foreign ministers communicate is detail. We're, it's really lacking on detail on how these pauses are going to be um, are going to be conducted, when they're going to be conducted, especially as you reported, not very far from where you are, the bombardment continues and the Israeli strikes continue uh, on Gaza. I put it to um, James Cleverly as well, uh, ne Benjamin Netanyahu's remarks about Israel continuing um, or taking security responsibility in Gaza and how that could be reinterpreted as um, reoccupying Gaza. And he said this, again, he agreed with um, Anthony Blinken there, saying this is a transition period. It is inevitable that the forces on the ground will take charge of, uh, of security in Gaza. But ultimately, what they're calling for um, is Palestinian leadership, Palestinian governance. And as Anthony Blinken put it a few minutes ago, a joint Palestinian governance in Gaza and ultimately in the West Bank. Okay, Shaima Khalil in Tokyo, thank you very much indeed. Watching that G7 meeting in uh, Tokyo that uh, may also be talking about what comes next uh, in the future of Gaza once, if and when Hamas is eliminated as Israel aims. Now, the other part of this region where there is uh, increasing concern is uh, northern Israel and, and Lebanon, the, the, the border there between the two countries, where there has been increased uh, cross-border fire in recent days. Sixteen uh, Lebanese uh, rockets were said to have been fired against Israel in the last couple of days, and Israel responded militarily with very heavy strikes. And Israel's uh, prime minister has said uh, that uh, Hezbollah is starting to take part in this war, but they would be making the mistake of a lifetime if they did so. 
Well, uh, Hez uh, Hezbollah's deputy leader, uh, the deputy secretary of state, as he's called, uh, of, of, of Hezbollah, Sheikh Naim Hassem, has been giving a very rare interview to the BBC's chief international correspondent, Orla Gerin, in which he has warned of the real risk of a wider war in this region, in his words, saying that uh, the region cannot bear much more of this Israeli uh, military offensive. And Orla uh, spoke to him in Lebanon, and she began by asking him uh, about the likelihood of a wider regional conflict. If the aggression increases and continues at this pace, very dangerous and very serious developments could occur in the region. No one would be able to stop the repercussions. For sure, there is a danger of a wider regional war breaking out. How realistic do you think is that danger now? How close is that danger? The danger is real because Israel is increasing its aggression against civilians and killing more women and children. Is it possible for this to continue and increase without bringing real danger to the region? I think not. We know that Hezbollah has weapons that can reach deep inside Israel. But if you were to use them, Israel can respond with air power and it has promised a response of unimaginable magnitude and many Lebanese could die. Are, are you willing to risk that? It's normal and natural and we are ready to pay the price. But the question is, can Israel pay the price? This is a question for Israel. With the cross-border attacks that you have been carrying out over the past month, isn't there a risk of dragging Lebanon into war, even unintentionally, a war that Lebanon can't afford and for which there appears to be absolutely no support here? It's the right of any Lebanese to be afraid of a war. This is normal. Nobody likes war. But who is responsible for this war? Did we start it or did Israel? What's most important is that the Israelis were the one who started this aggression against Gaza in this hideous way. With respect, Hamas started by attacking Israel on the 7th of October and killing more than 1,400 Israelis, most of whom were civilians, women and children. So this round of warfare began with Hamas, not with Israel. What should the Palestinians do to regain their freedom and their land? This operation was inevitable, and it was an act of resistance and of defense. Some would say that the attacks on October 7th have been a disaster for the Palestinian cause because the result has been massive destruction in Gaza, the killing of thousands of civilians, including more than 4,000 children. Haven't the attacks actually backfired? I think what happened was a great achievement for the Palestinian resistance. Now the massacres committed by Israel are mobilizing the Palestinians more and more to cling to their land. And they know there is no solution except continued resistance. But you say you consider the attack a great success, but 10,000 Palestinians have been killed since this attack. And who knows how many more will die? 
Who killed the Palestinians? It was the crazy Israelis. Would you intervene more militarily? Would there be a stronger military reaction from Hezbollah if Hamas is in danger of being beaten in Gaza? This is a matter for the future and what happens in the battle. It's something we do not talk about in the media. But we have our plans for more confrontation and resistance, depending on what the circumstances require. Ola Guerin speaking to the deputy leader of Hezbollah there about the real risk of a wider regional war.